This episode of Good Sheilers is proudly sponsored by Lug and Carry. Lug and Carry give you the easiest way to ethically get around Melbourne. Their electric bikes can be fitted out for anything you need. From carting ungrateful kids around to small doggos. To this week's shopping or even your podcast partner if that's how you spice things up. I do not want to spice anything up with you, Claire. (laughs) I've ridden a lug and carry bike for months now and they're incredible. I chuck my two kids on the back and go fast enough so I can't hear them yelling at me. (laughs) (laughs) I've used yours too and it's an excellent way to get around town and it's way cheaper than the car. And I barely use my car anymore. And I'm barely your friend anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners can get the first two weeks of a lug and carry bike absolutely free by mentioning Good Sheilers. Fun fact about Bron. When Bron was in high school and figuring out who she was, she thought Home and Away would help. One episode, a kidnapped girl hid a secret clue in a letter to her parents about her location leading to her rescue, and Bron thought, this surely applies to love. She wrote a cryptic poem to a crush with a hidden message that said, I like you. Turns out he didn't watch Home and Away, had no idea who the insane letter was from and what it was about at all. True love, mate. True love. Oh, oh my God. I can't believe it didn't work. <laughs> There's still so time. It's a seamless plan. He can find me. One day he'll crack the code. <laughs> I hope he likes heaps of kids. Welcome to Good Sheilers, the podcast that will turn your stomach and warm your heart as we reflect on what makes all of us tick. I'm Bron, a Melbourne comedian. And I'm Claire, a human rights lawyer. And we are longtime friends, short-time mums and lifetime dickheads. Each episode we tackle something in the media as well as something in life that's kicked us in the guts. So strap yourselves in mongrels and get ready for Good Sheilers. Hey Claire. Hey, how are you going? I'm good. Oh, good, good, good. How's Coburg? Oh, mate, you know, Saturday morning. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I'm living the dream. <laughs> yes, I know. How funny is it? It's like, oh, like Olive said to me this morning, it's the weekend. Yay. I was like, well, what's different? She was yeah. like, oh. You idiots. <laughs> go back to your room. <laughs> <laughs> but we're two oh, weeks gosh. into this six-week lockdown. The numbers are going down. We're yes. all going to be fine, and tomorrow they're going to fix it, and that's final. Exactly. And um, if they don't fix it, I will write Dan Andrews a love letter. <laughs> Dear Dan, <And> please stop. <laughs> I'll tell him exactly how to cure it, and by the time he works it out, we'll all be dead. But it is, it is an interesting time. But it has been an interesting time in the news of late. It has been a lot of covid I am sick to death of it without saying that it's not and without saying it's irrelevant. It's relevant. We get it. We know it's there. We're drowning in it. But we're not going to talk about that today. No, COVID is bad. That spells bad. You've been sounding out words with your children. I told you I quit homeschool. It's finished. (laughs) 
They can't read anymore. Yeah, exactly. They can go to hell. (laughs) But in people we actually care about, a Melbourne artist named Casey Jenkins is about to push some boundaries, and we are so ready for this. During Mm. lockdown, she will make a post on social media to declare when she is ovulating and a willing donor will put a vial of sperm on their doorstep and within hours, an audience will watch online as they self-inseminate in the name of art. Yeah, so in this article, I just want to point out here, in the article, sometimes her pronouns were she and her and then sometimes the pronouns were they and them. So I really Mm. apologise to Casey if we're stuffing up your pronouns, but the age... um, uh, just uh, is run by idiots, it seems. <laughs> you should write so them a this, letter. I love you. So this, Get it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Crack this code, can't. No, there's. Um, <laughs> so there is. This is actually really interesting to me. Like, yeah. I find this fascinating. And before we delve into it, I'm going to give you a bit of a quote from the article that I like. So this is what Jenkins herself or they themselves said. A woman, a person of my age who is solo, this is considered an aberration, that it's not normal. It's called artificial insemination, that it's not right, that it's somehow lesser, it's sad, it's not an ideal way of having a child. I should not have a child and I should have a man. These are very negative ideas that I sense society feel towards a person like me going through this process. There's no way of me existing that is acceptable except not to show myself. I hope there will be conversations around this. If they feel uncomfortable, then we'll they, then say why. When, what exactly, when there's not much there, will they hang that, that, that discomfort on? I really stuffed up the last bit. That was beautiful, Bron. You should be a newsreader or a poet. <laughs> I'm think... trying to sound them out. It's fantastic. Okay, but <laughs> on the topic of this woman and not Bron's apparent stroke that she just had. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I, think, I think there is incredible power in what she is doing because not only is she calling out this really messed up thing we have where if you don't have the right infrastructure and the right relationships, you can't, you know, have a child in the same way that everybody else can. But also she's or they are reclaiming their body and that experience in a really important and public way because so much of like conception and pregnancy and birth is this like hidden process and there have been movements recently to bring it out into the open but it still is like icky and uncomfortable and it's like no fucking power to this like their body is going to do them one of the most magnificent things that a body can do and they're sharing the start of that process with everybody that's remarkable well, I think that, yeah, totally. It is, and what a, like, what an absolute joy to be a part of something that is always mm. so private, especially when it is, um, you know, something that someone is going through with, you know, help from science. So it's always like, you know, sometimes people make comments um, about, you know, their process to conceive, but a lot of people keep it really secret because they don't want people judging them. A lot of women would feel just like the same way that Jenkins would feel is less than in some particular mm. way because it hasn't just, the baby didn't just pop up in their stomach and where they have a man stroking their hair um, while, <laughs> they, while they glow and, and God, light the world yeah, like pregnancy it's Pregnancy sounds lovely. <laughs> Look, <laughs> my pregnancies were not like that. <laughs> no, no one's are. That's what I'm saying. It's absolute lies. This is this doesn't exist. This whole this so glowing romantic view of pregnancy and childbirth and everything that 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 we expect or 
you know, desire. It's not real. No. What Jenkins is experiencing is like a really extreme version of this where she does not, or they do not, well, let's just say she for now because it might, I, but we have apologized if we have got it wrong. She has not decided, she's decided to do this by herself. This mm. is a decision that she has actively made. Anyone could find someone if they desperately, if they settled. This yes. is just how the world works. And they're yeah. saying, fuck settling. And that, that is something which is really important because it infers that, you know, it, above and beyond your own kind of want to have a child, your own want to step into that stage of your life, the first step of that is to achieve a man wanting you enough to impregnate you, right? And that's yeah. the whole, that, that's, that's such control in that. There's just such... Uh, that awful idea that your validity is attached to the affections or the love of a of a bloke is 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 really poisonous and really toxic. So Jenkins is doing something so powerful by saying, actually, I my decision is the most important thing in this. My autonomy is the most important thing in this. And you guys are bloody lucky that I'm making this. Art. Yeah, yeah. So if you want it, and it's not shoving it in our face. If you want to join in, if you want to watch, if you want to see this process i'm opening the, this the door for you and i'm also saying i am happy with this i'm happy with my situation this is a mm. choice i've made you can come along for the ride or you can go get fucked and i absolutely respect and appreciate that our, we, our bodies are always are always some, they're never ours you know no, they're, they're never, never ours and there's so much ashamed, like shame just attached to those processes I, I remember feeling deeply ashamed of things like my period I remember like before I had Frida realizing that you know I'd gone on natural down there and freaking out that like you and the nurse would see my you know my natural vagina and so the morning of my induction I spent it not relaxing or reflecting or going for a nice walk or coming down I bloody oh. I bloody did my bikini line like oh I can't even God. fucking see it I did <laughs> on that day I did wish that you had a prosthetic vagina <laughs> <laughs> I would have for context I watched Claire give birth to her second child and it was magnificent and it was just uh, it was just like so incredible to watch her body do that um but it, I was deeply disappointed when she chose to use her own vagina and not a prosthetic <laughs> one just, it, really? it was a bit of feedback <laughs> Wow, cool, cool feedback to share on to the entire world. That my vagina isn't very good and it should be a fake one. My vagina is great. It's fine, mate. It's absolutely exactly what it should be. Exactly. But even any of the, like, you know, when you, I know that when people have, um, they're pregnant or they've just had a baby, everyone has so many questions about it. And I love a labor story, mm. but I know that I love it. I like, I love an engagement story. Never going to get married. I love a labor story. Doesn't necessarily, I want to be in labor. I just love the stories behind these. I, mm. uh, I think they're always really fascinating. And I know that when women will say, oh, you know, oh, the labor wasn't that good. Like it was actually really horrible and I ended up having cesarean. They always say it in such a way that they feel like it's not the, like I'm not going to be just as excited or be yeah. like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like they're waiting for me to say sorry. Yeah. And I understand that it would be disappointing. I understand that if that's not what they, that birth that they have, that they just wanted would be. But I don't understand why we pity women who've had a cesarean when it's like, that's just how it was. And that was what you had to do for you and your baby to survive. And the same thing goes with people who have twins. I know friends of mine, uh, Tina and Chris, have two little girls, twins. And she says when they were, she said when they were little, and probably still now, people often ask her, just strangers, oh, were they IVF or? It's like, 
what and also none Hello. of your fucking business yeah. it's just like i think i think another really powerful thing that jenkins is it's pulling out here is that so many we, we feel like we've got the right to that kind of information like that we have mm. feel like we had the right to that detail and that you should have you know this really wonderful conception story and you should have this really kind of evocative birth story but it also goes back to that idea of doing it the right way right mm. finding a bloke who'll inseminate you having a vaginal birth with no drugs like it, it, it just keeps like it, it and if you deviate from those kind of socially accepted processes and everyone's like oh, i'm so sorry i'm so sorry yeah or there must be something wrong Something went wrong in your life that you've decided to do this by yourself. Yeah, the sorry, like your pity. You go shove it up your ass. No one needs your pity. (laughs) The baby, you don't have to. You don't have to birth the baby. You don't have to like get up to it at two in the morning. So shut Shut up your mouths and your faces. But Casey, (laughs) take your prosthetic vagina and get out of here and shove it up your vagina. But Gacy, we fucking salute you, mate. This is a magnificent thing. I will be tuning in. I think you're magical. And this baby, if they come about, they are bloody lucky that you are their parent. Yeah. So powerful. But talking so about week- people's mistakes, let's talk what? about people's mistakes like our children. <laughs> or like our podcast. Or like our um, friendship. Or like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's marriage. Just joking. Call it. No, just joking. Love you, Wally. So this this week we're going to be talking about we've ha- we've made we've done a little bit of self reflecting on our own missteps because you guys, our beautiful listeners, deserve good sheilers. And despite all of our mistakes in our lives, we are genuinely good sheilers. Except for brunch, she'll steal your change. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not Claire. She hides mice in bad places. Oh, what you can't see can't hurt you, Bron. Um, but you've seen it. And did it hurt you? It turns out it did. You're just dropping it on the fucking podcast that my vagina is not good enough. It's amazing. But anyway, my magical, magnificent vagina aside, we've had listeners reach out to us and they've called us out and we've listened back on our ourselves which is often mortifying and we heard that sometimes our silliness can be a bit careless and we want to be accountable and we want to acknowledge the shit bits and commit to being better humans so Bron, where have we dropped the ball oh a few times <laughs> many times <laughs> you did say <laughs> okay but i reckon oh. we've made some pretty ordinary jokes about older women mm. uh we joke about nudging 50 like you like you know i'll make fun about you nudging 50 and you make fun about me being like mid 40s this stuff like we're both we're 33 and 34 and whilst we joke about these like we know that it's a form of self-deprecation and jovial bullying but we really didn't consider the fact that women who are 50 and over are listening to us waffle on about Christ knows what. Yeah, I've got no idea what we do here. Really. What is this? <laughs> who am Honestly, I? Honestly, <laughs> who do we think we are? Yeah. Tune out. <laughs> but throwing women over a certain age under the bus isn't okay. And to mm. those ladies and to all women, we are sorry. I'll leave men out of that apology because your ageing, blokes, is totally celebrated in this society. So you're fine, mates. Yeah, you're fine. This is not for you. But <laughs> to people we actually care about, we, we misstepped and we tread on people in that process. And our sorry is totally unequivocal. And it's a form of deeply internalised misogyny as well, that behaviour. So the same socialisation that we're trying to fight against and unpack has been manifesting in this podcast and it's not okay 
and we're both staring down the barrel of age and in that anxiety and lack of self-reflection we've been carrying the message that women as they age hold less value and this messaging is a form of social control and the delegitimization of women and we were carrying it and we do this to women because aging is not for us Mm-mm. we're banned from it <laughs> but and <laughs> so like the silly billies that we are we address the elephant in the room we are no longer 25 years old and to some people that means our voice matters less which is horseshit. Horseshit. Yeah, the patriarchy <laughs> tells us to fear getting older because our expiry date is loud and clear and how very dare we pretend it isn't terrifying. So we laugh, Claire, and then we feel a bit empty. <laughs> no, because we are, in fact, we are, in fact, getting older each and every day. And if <sighs> I ignore this arbitrary date, if I just forget that it's there, I realise that I genuinely like getting older. All of my past mistakes come from a lack of experience and understanding of the world around me. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have sailed through my 20s and early 30s like a fierce Judy Dench. And I would have definitely given you a false number, Claire. Oh, go. Always with that loving friendship. <laughs> it's beautiful. So I'm having a different experience of aging to you. And I think a lot of that is down to my own patchy self-esteem. So... For me, every line and wrinkly bit builds a tiny anxiety in me because I've not managed to unpack that embedded misogyny and apply it to myself. So every day I come a little bit closer to seeing myself as more than the sum of my physical parts, but I still struggle to come to terms with that unkind voice in my head that tells me I'm not worth much because of how I look. And that is deeply attached to aging, you know, like my body, Mm. my face is is changing, it's transforming, it's never going to go back to how I looked in my 20s. And I know rationally, objectively, that that's okay, but emotionally, I'm I'm not okay with it. And And in taking the piss out of each other in the way that we've been is normalizing that idea, right, that older women are worth less and they're not. No, they're not. But I'm totally, I like, I don't think that I'm in like the clear, like I'm not like, great, I would love to be. Um, I would totally be happy with my my body being completely aged. That is mm. not the case. Like I know mm. that I still have gripes about that. I I and sometimes aging is a bit shit. Like I know that period gets meaner. Oh, so awful. I know. I thought I thought it'd get better, but it's just like every fucking month, my magical vagina is like, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh. We all need prosthetic ones, and. I, I know that, like, uh, losing weight is harder. So, yeah. like, when in the pandemic, like, even though I'm like, oh, okay, fine, I'm putting on weight, that's fine. When you just want to put on a pair of jeans and they don't fit on, you're like, okay, fine, I'll just do something little. It's not little anymore. It actually takes a lot longer. Mm. And th- But these are not things that are anyone's fault. This is just getting a bit older. This is just getting a bit older, yeah, and your body starts to hurt, like might get a sore back. Like what the fuck is that? Yeah, I've had a sore back forever. It's the worst. But I do think that I would much prefer to be in this headspace than be the 20-year-old perky little number. I don't think I was ever perky, but (laughs) (laughs) let's just pretend. a perky little number. That was magical. I wrote wrote many love letters to myself at that age. No, I didn't. I was was just, you know, this 20-year-old, whatever 20-year-olds look like. I know. But I was was terrified and lost and confused and, like, made all these grand statements that I didn't actually believe. And also, do you remember, like, a single time in your life when you hated your body more? Yeah, which is ridiculous. It is ridiculous because you're like everything that you want to be now, right? Like smooth and like you don't have – 
you don't have an artificial vagina no, when you're 21. I've really made it then. <laughs> it was a huge success. <laughs> but I do remember this one time, Claire, speaking of bodies real quick, is remember when we were uh, maybe 20, 22 or 21, I remember I hadn't seen you in a while and you came and met me at a restaurant and you were so thin, like mm. you were gaunt. And I was like, holy heck. Uh, Claire doesn't look very well and you were just on this crazy you were in a terrible place with that horrible ex-boyfriend of yours and you just had just not eating you just weren't eating and you just this is but this was like you know the power of a young body is easy easy to lose weight but if you look at like that thinness or that youthfulness being a you know a point of success or something Mm. that we aspire to looking back at you then compared to you now where you're not that thin as you were then I'm trying to say this in a nice way. You are lovely now. You have a perfect size, Claire. The best size I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting to reflect back on because I still kind of fetishize that that tiny little body. Like I, I remember, yeah. like I remember it vividly at the time because I'd never been tinier. Like I, I remember like lying in bed and like feeling my hip bones and being mm. really like. And I remember going to like Melbourne Central when it was still a thing to go to the shops, and I'd only go there because they had these giant scales in the bathrooms. And I'd like jump on and pay a dollar just so like my weight would be public. Like, and and it, nothing, I remember I was studying at the time, like it was in that awful relationship with that really scary man, but it was just like my form of kind of control and self-worth. I was like, I'm tiny and I made it. And now I look back and I like, I know that that was probably, you know, one of the worst times of my life, except for this friendship. And I just... <laughs> Zing. Um, but but like the, the idea that I would still look back at that body fondly is so broken. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, but this is what we do. We like we have this idea that being small and being young is the best, but I would not I would not trade those no. for what the like the experience and the knowledge that I have now. Yeah, yeah. So, what is our commitment number 1, Claire? No more jokes about age. It's not funny, it's not cool, and it's not kind. No, no, we are quitting that. And sorry to everybody, we fucked up. Mm. We also stuffed up a couple of weeks back. We were talking about some shit. I don't know what we talk about. I'm still trying to figure who cares. But (laughs) (laughs) but, um, we made a joke about Port Macquarie Uni. And we didn't actually know that there was a uni there. And we made a rash joke without doing our due diligence. But that's not good enough. It's not a mere culpa. Like that ignorance is a form of elitism. It was shitty and we're sorry. 1.3 million students are participating in tertiary study in Australia every year. And that represents an incredible amount of knowledge and self-reflection and learning that adds untold value to our communities. It doesn't matter where you study and banging the drum about attending a sandstone is a shitty thing to do. It is shitty. And oh my God, in Melbourne, it's huge. Oh, it's I know gross. That, oh, it's disgusting. I remember when I first moved to Melbourne, I was quite young and hadn't been to uni yet and my brother older brother Hamish um he was like you have to just get into uni just get into uni but just desperately try to get into Melbourne uni and I was like okay yeah sure and I did not do very well at school because I was too busy eating McFlurries and filleted fish with you (laughs) I know we ate so many they're so delicious I wanted to eat the fish remember how great that was just not going to class and going to McDonald's yeah wagged everything that was great I like that part (laughs) 
he wagged everything and we just got into my like, like my amazing Datsun and did like drove this loud loud bomb through the drive through just ate McFlurries and filled oh. a fish like our lives depended on it I don't even know how I passed year 12. But I do remember I started uni a bit later and then um, because I didn't do that well at school, I just I just put it to a bunch of places but I really hoped I'd get into Melbourne Uni because it was important to my brother. He was like, it's the best one. And I didn't really understand much about it because I didn't care. Anyway, I ended up getting into La Trobe and Deacon, not Melbourne. And Hamish was like, did that thing, which is – when something was really important to him and he assumed it was important to me and it was you know, not, no fault of his own. He just was like, oh, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. But it was that I was like, holy moly, it really matters where you go. It really matters. And I was so embarrassed that I went to Deakin Uni and I would like there was loads of people there who had like jump hoodies and all the merch. You would have seen it's like it'd be way worse at Melbourne Uni, I'm sure. But the hoodies and the everything that that had the covered in Deacon stuff, and I was like, "What idiots! How are they? How are they proud that they come here?" And now I'm like, "Well, they're probably proud they came here because they worked really hard to get into a course that they really yeah. wanted to do." Yeah, <laughs> and that is as simple as that. Yeah, and we do like I know that you went to Melbourne Law School, Claire, oh. Melbourne Uni Law School, and yeah. it would have been rife there, right? Oh, mate, yeah, I went to Melbourne and look, it's it's a tricky conversation because I, I know I don't want to throw any of my colleagues under the bus, but when you come out and you actually practice, you realise very quickly that the university somebody went to doesn't mean anything. What matters is the kind of the strength of their character and the commitment to their work. And the other thing about sandstones is that the elitism is rife. Like I remember the first day of law school and being so excited and so nervous and so jumpy and walking into that group and being like, Oh, far out these, like, I do not know if I can make friends with any of these people. And mm. cause I just felt so like, I just, it, I was just not, I didn't belong there. <laughs> and then they were just, they, there was a speech made by, I don't know, maybe it was the Dean at the time. They're like, you're the exceptional. It was the queen. Yes. And <laughs> she was like, you are exceptional. You are wonderful. Like it was just really, it was like, they just kind of patted us all on the back and like, you are the best of the best. You're so amazing. And I was like, I haven't fucking, we haven't done anything yet. Like we just got in. Like it's not, we've not achieved anything really. So it's getting in is good, but like, Maybe yeah. pat us in the back when we've done something to better the community, but it was just like this really weird elitist introduction to a really weird elitist world. And I don't know. And I feel like, yeah, it was important for my, you know, for, for me, my career to get here. But at the same time, I would have had the exact same outcome if I had gone to Deakin or Port Macquarie. I would still be working in the field that I am because I really care about it. And I'd mm. just have less of a bloody stupid, bloody fee help debt. <laughs> Massive, it'd be so huge. It's so huge. Oh, golly. But oh, we had a, someone who came and talked. I think it was hot dogs from Big Brother. Yeah, beautiful. I'm joking, as if we did it. As if we did. We had no one. I didn't go to uni either. Like, I never attended anything. I just waited for you to meet me at McDonald's. Oh, yes, the best. <laughs> but if we did have someone, I imagine it would have been hot dogs from Big Brother. But Who is, is hot dogs from Big Brother? He was, so it was many, many, many years ago. It's the early 2000s. <laughs> I think and he was it was like it was one of he was just this like a man who chose his name to be hot dogs 
So he was the best. best. It was so much better than anything that ever happened at Melbourne Uni. God, I want to hold on. It also didn't happen, but I imagine it did. So what's our commitment number two? Commitment number two, you guys. No more elitism. We are all worth loads. We're all important. And as critics of Australian meritocracy, the capitalist elite, and a social system that values the accruement of wealth and power over genuine human connection, we are sorry. Learning is one of the most magnificent things you can do as a human being, and where it happens means nothing. Mm-hmm. So also, we've got a third one. You guys might have noticed that we've changed the tone of how we're talking about booze these days. Mm. Previously, we are pushing the wine mum narrative and normalising it. And we had a lovely listener write to us, and we want to quote her here. As a single mum and recovering alcoholic with mental health issues... I really find it difficult watching your content that seems to promote the mum drink. I would really appreciate it if you could please reconsider the message you're sending. Hmm. So we've mm-hmm. talked a lot over the years of our friendship about our drinking. Um, like a lot of Australians, putting away a bottle of wine a night was totally normalised in both of our upbringings. We went through the trajectory of spending teenage wait- weekends wasted and young adulthood built around socialising, fueled by vodka cruises and stumbling out of bars. As parents, we're definitely bought into the wine mum. And yeah, we were celebrating it on the podcast. We joked about necking liters of cheap Chardonnay as if it was a personality trait. It's yeah, not. <laughs> but it's not. It's not. It's pretty naff. If that was a personality trait, we'd have zero personality. Yeah. And you can't afford that, Claire. No, I'm very low on those stakes already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've spent years making jokes about being a high-functioning alcoholic to the point where if there's a joke about drinking floating around the staff room, it'll always find its way to me. Mm. And even when I took some time off drinking, I didn't tell a lot of people because I was one, I was worried what they think they would think that I was an actual alcoholic. Mm. They think that I'd like hit rock bottom or something when in the truth, I just wanted to see what my life would be like without it. Mm. And two, I was worried what people would joke with me about, you know, I was, it was like a kind of a, it was like a shield Mm. as if I don't have, if I can't, can't joke about being that crazy drunk mom, then people going to ask me questions about my life. And I, I didn't really want to include them in that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, we're talking, making jokes before about, you know, it being a personality trait, but it kind of becomes one, right? It's like a switch to loosen you up or to make you fun or to, you know, like mitigate whatever you're feeling. But the reality is that it doesn't do those things. It just, it, it, it's just a, it's a crutch, right? And it's mm. a really, it's, it's not a, it's not a particularly good one. I, I think my own drinking has gotten out of hand a few times in my adult life. And when it has, it's almost always been when I felt really insecure or anxious or depressed. So when I drink too much, I'm doing it to cover up what I'm feeling or to make myself feel better. And that's not a cool or glamorous thing and it shouldn't be relatable. Like there's healthy drinking and moderation and, you know, having a wine with friends. And then there's drinking because your mental health isn't good. And I've often been in that second category. Mm. And I, But this is Australia. We don't really reflect on why we're drinking. It mm. just is. It's just there. Just do There's it. no yeah. gathering really without it. Even kids' birthday parties. Yeah. It is there. And I'm not, I don't want to shame. And we're not shaming people. No, we're drink. not shaming anybody. We drinkers. We both drink. It's just. Yeah. But I don't want to glorify it or tell no. people to, you know, 
ignore your kids and drink a bottle of wine, even though it's not, we have made those jokes, but we don't actually mean it. We don't mean it. We really, really want people to um, have a really good relationship with it. Uh, and that is, we both know, can be really tricky. It can be really tricky. And, and looking into this episode, we had a bit of a look at the history of the wine mum as a thing. And the idea kind of popped up in the 1950s in I Love Lucy, where Lucille Ball, you know, was a booze hound. And at some point, capitalism grabbed hold of the pop culture concept and then it became this wine mum thing, part of the mum narrative. So there are millions of followers and Facebook groups like Mum Needs Wine and a quick search for wine mum mean brings up 3.5 million hits. But yeah, it's huge, isn't it, mate? So, But it glamorizes alcoholism and coping through self-medicating and it hides the reality of why we drink so much is because parents and particularly mums don't get enough support or community or access to mental health services oh my god it's so true it's like a band-aid everyone's like yeah. ah, if we just let them drink heaps and like give them a tea towel that says <laughs> mummy's petrol is wine then then <laughs> then they will just then they'll be fine with yeah. their uh their position that they're in but the, we have you know there's celebrities who have made it big and Australia, a huge Australian comedian Celeste Barber she has made it huge internationally mm. for a number of reasons she's very funny and she's very clever and her yeah. Celeste Barber accepts the challenge or whatever it is that is hilarious but one of her things that people kind of um, hold on to is that she loves drinking white wine mm. and a lot of her I know that Anne Rossiano was doing it as well. A lot of her things, she has a glass of white wine in it. And I feel like these these are two women, two Australian mums, that when we see them being successful and holding a wine and saying how they need a wine, they need a wine, they're going to drink wine, they're going to drink wine in bed, they're going to do this, this allows this allows people who are kind of on the verge of being like social drinkers or problem drinkers, you know, but just kind of that slippery slope, just all that more slippery. Mm. And so we allow this, we allow in the, cause it's funny. We love to laugh about people drinking lots. We love to laugh about it, but we, this is this, I think it's really important to acknowledge that we, it's a problem to laugh about it. Yeah, it is a problem. And also that, you know, what you and I need to not be harmful. Right? That that's, this is the whole conversation, right? You and I need to like be, kind of accountable because we do have you know a lot of people who are engaging with us right now and we have a responsibility and part of that responsibility is not to make you know chugging goon a fun cool thing because it's mm. it's it's not and we, we're we're sorry we we, we yeah. shouldn't have done that and it's dangerous so what's yeah. number three mate what is number well, three? that was uh number three is we will not glorify drinking anymore anymore Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this isn't this isn't to say anyone's giving up drinking. This no. is just, and if you like drinking, that is absolutely fine. But if you re- if you feel like you've got a problem with drinking, there are lots of support groups out there. Australia mm. is aware, and the, Australia is aware that alcohol is a problem mm-hmm. for a lot of people, and it isn't necessarily for people with particularly troubled lives. It's for people who've got privileged lives who just can't stop a, a habit that they've kind of fallen into yeah and so we might we will put on the um a good sheila's instagram page a, a couple of links to um help uh, to provide help with people who might actually see themselves slipping slipping down that slope because mm. it doesn't have to be that way no and and it actually feels really nice to i mean you and i again we've we've made we've made some strides right like it's 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 just changing your relationship and having some parameters around how you how you choose to drink but yeah, um, yeah. We're, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, 
and and we're doing very well. We are. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> All right. The last thing that we're going to chat about is like, I, Claire, I want you to think about, and this is not something we've planned. Claire, I want you to think about something that you used to believe in, like, like really passionately oh. that you probably have understood was maybe a mistake. <laughs> Can you think? Like I will think of some too, but the, one, oh. the first one that comes to my mind is: Do you know how you know how Facebook? I know. Do you have? You don't have Facebook, do you? No, I don't have no. Facebook. I have. I have Facebook. I very rarely use it, but I pop go on there every now and then, and um, it comes up with all these Facebook memories. And because I used to be on it heaps in my early twenties, um, it's actually horrific. Oh, so mortifying, mate. Facebook memories are like the social media version of those cringeworthy flashbacks you get when you're trying to fall asleep. You know, like, <laughs> I wish I didn't say that, and then your brain just goes in a loop. Facebook, you could be sitting there just at your laptop or you're on your phone. You're like, what's going on on Facebook? And it will pop up with one of the worst decisions you've ever made with, a, like, a caption that you made that is not very good and actually really offensive. And you're like, oh holy God. And it's still I... on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, do you want to reshare this? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I want to burn Facebook down. But one of them, so this happened in about, I think it was 2010. Uh, There's no photo. It was just a very, it was just one sentence, which was obviously very thought through. It was, I must have just gotten off the plane. And I had written, kids should be made to wear muzzles on planes. <laughs> Isn't that disgusting? That is terrible. Oh, my God. And some of them pop, pop, pop up, and I'm, I'm actually too embarrassed to say some of them, but that oh. one was like, holy. So now, now that I'm older and I've got kids, if someone said to me whilst I was on a plane, can you put muzzles on your kids? I wrote the, I read this really great suggestion on Facebook in 2010 and I feel like you should take it on board. Can you put muzzles on your kids? I would lose my shit. I'd be like, what an insensitive thing to say. Can you think of one? Oh, mate, I wish I, wish I didn't delete Facebook exactly for this purpose. I can't remember a specific thing I said, but I can remember some really cringy behaviors like having crushes on boys and being like oh he's online and posting a post which is like lyrics to a song and being like he'll definitely read this and he'll definitely think I'm really intellectual and artsy and like taking like a photo of myself like from an angle and like putting a filter on it and being like just hanging out with my cat sure i said awful awful things it's just yeah we have and but social media will do this so social media will keep dredging up our mistakes and whether we thought that they were really good ideas at the time or not they will keep showing us how much uh, how big a piece of shit we are such pieces of shit there are some i mean i know there's some shocking photos of us at like festivals and parties from when we were in early 20s they're on the internet forever Forever. Forever, I know. I know. Lucky I, I did not for the it. president. <laughs> I am yeah. in trouble. <laughs> exactly. Vote one. That lady on acid on the hill <laughs> with the plastic vagina. She's going to represent us. She's got some really great ideas. One of them's muzzling kids on planes. <laughs> oh, 
shit. Oh, All right, mate. we have been a counterbound a bubbly bitty <laughs> and we've done very good at it because I'm a very good person and so are you or are we at all? Give us feedback. We really we this is a really interesting episode to make because we had the conversation about it earlier in the week and I think initially we both found it quite confronting to kind of step up to like, oh shit, actually we have said some shit stuff and that's not okay and we had that moment of discomfort. But it makes us better people, right? Yeah. And so if we say something that upsets you or or we shouldn't say or you have a learning that you want to share, please tell us because mm. it's important. Yeah, we love we love I love feedback. I any uh, any negative, positive, whatever. If you think it sounds shit or whatever, be clear, <laughs> exactly. should maybe get a job. That's cool. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know and I will see to fixing it. But we do really appreciate anyone who listens. We still are absolutely shocked that people are tuning in. Exactly. What are you doing with your lives? That's my (laughs) feedback. (laughs) Yeah, we got some feedback for you. But also, if you've got feedback, please leave us a review, send us a message, get in touch, sing a song, do a dance, however you're vibing. We're here for that vibe. We are. That's called accountability. Accountability. Exactly. Accountability. All right, good Sheila's. We have also been good Sheila's. We have we, all been good Sheila's. Everyone. Love um, you, mate. Love you, love you, mate. mate. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.